the Demeter on charter from Romania to London. Shipping private crates, contents unknown. Out at sea with no land in sight. This here is Clemens. He's a doctor. You dress like a learned man. University of Cambridge? I know my way around the boat. Our charter has agreed to pay bonus for timely arrival in London. Let me show you the ship. This here is Huckleberry. We don't come with like this to give the oars clear. To me, it's a fine boat, no doubt. Looks like a bite. Search the ship everywhere. Evil is on board. Powerful evil. Hello, faithful viewers. Welcome back to the Everyday is Halloween podcast. I am your host, Horror Guy Keenan. Uh, I have a little something new today. We're going to be doing a, uh, a double feature episode. It's an episode I want to do, uh, you know, go back to movies, talk about a little uh, It's coming out in the, the fall season. And I have two that really stuck out for me this, this, uh, this year. Kind of uh, late summer films, you know, that kind of get tossed to the side. Uh, films that usually don't perform very well in theaters, uh, but I thought they performed great for me, and uh, I want to share them with you all. So now that they're both streaming uh, on VOD and all those places, you can uh, watch them right after this episode. So if you're driving to work, uh, this might give you something to look forward to whenever you get home, cuddle up with the husband or wifey, and uh, enjoy a spooky movie before Halloween. So let's get to it. My first picture that I want to talk about is The Last Voyage of the Demeter. Uh, this is a tale that was from uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula that obviously reads perfectly for a movie. Um, Dracula is uh, being sent from uh, Transylvania to London in a coffin of sorts. Many boxes. They're like big wooden crates, shipping crates, and they're getting sent from... Uh, Transylvania to London so basically his birthplace to where he'll feed and you know the rest of the story um but this is cool this is a, a neat take because this is the side of Dracula that we don't really ever get to see this is a side of Dracula that's a bit more vicious or more brutal he almost looks like Nosferatu um but it's one of those things that has Dracula feeds, he regains his uh, true form, if you'd say. 
So most of the picture you're getting a Dracula that's that is uh, you know feral and just monstrous. It's a it's a, it, this is a monster movie picture, and that's my favorite kind of horror right there is a monster movie that takes itself very seriously. That has a gas lamp uh, gothy feel to it, and this film just it it's alien on the high seas. Like how do you how do you not want to watch that right? Uh, this film is directed by Andre Overdahl. You might remember his movies, uh, Autopsy of Jane Doe, which takes place entirely in a morgue. Uh, I really loved this movie. Um, Brian Cox and Emile Hirsch were in this film. And these are two actors that I feel don't ever really get a lot of uh, recognition. So to see uh, Andre really take their talents and hone them to the highest degree, which just was wonderful. If you haven't seen Autopsy of Jane Doe, I highly recommend checking that out. Uh, he's also worked on Troll Hunter, which was a, uh, a found footage type film, which was really neat, very different at the time when it released. That one I think is streaming right now on Netflix. Uh, another one of his films is Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Obviously, um, depicted after the the book series that one ran a little too long for me i really love the premise i really love the look of it but i feel like it's just very long in the tooth if you know what i mean i would love to see a tighter cut of that picture someday but we're not talking about this movie we're talking about the last voyage the demeter um that's just kind of setting the scene for what how he how he operates and works as a director and you know he never does anything very half-assed and you always get just this beautiful cinematography and anything he ever works on. And that's one thing about Demeter that's just really striking to me is that the the world that it lends itself to is just gorgeous. Um, you can never really tell the budget of this film because it's so grand and hidden within practical effects um, and just amazing acting uh, from everybody that's that's in this film. Let's talk about those players. So you have your lead actor, Corey Hawkins. Uh, they really work his character very well into the into the Demeter and why he would not be on the ship and how he does get onto the ship. Um, our female lead, uh, Ashling um, Francisco, I slaughtered that. Um, she's wonderful as well. And then the captain, Lemmy Cunningham, you might know from Game of Thrones. He was the uh, the man who was looking after. Uh, Daenerys and started turning uh, dragon scales. Uh, he plays an amazing captain in this movie and his turmoils that lead him to go slightly more like it's always interesting to see the person that you know you you know your captain he's he's the strength of the ship and when you start seeing that character start to lose its threads and become unraveled it's like well no one's safe because everybody's losing their mind including the captain and he has a very good story um, but I definitely want to give a shout out to uh, Everyday is Halloween podcast uh, fan and uh, comic book creator David Dasmalshin. He's amazing in this movie. David's one of those guys that you can put in any kind of role and he just makes magic happen. You can't typecast this guy. And I know you've all seen him before. The first time I think I ever really saw David was when he was in um, the dark night as one of the jokers kind of like a henchman 
and he just has that striking look you know david's he's very cunning and the great thing in the, in the real life he's like the sweetest guy in the world um but he shows up in this and he he plays a completely different character kind of like the sidearm to the captain you know the strength of the ship that you know if anything's going away or out of control he's the one put in charge and kind of almost like a a heavy you know kind of like your muscle and uh not a role i would really pick for david but man he t- knocks it out of the park and again just shows that andre just knows what he's talking about and uh, i mean david can do any role he, can, he wants man he's done it all and he's doing it all this year he's doing a great he's out having a great 2023 i'm so proud of him um but yeah he's like definitely one of the st- stronger moments of this picture this film has a nice budget um it has this tragic tale there were th- there were scenes in this film that i did not see coming that I thought were just very cool and very, you know, risk-taking moments for a film like this. And that's what movies are all about is, you know, you start kind of maybe getting bored with the story and then something grasps you, something epic happens in the storyline to keep pulling you in. And this film does that. Um, obviously, it's Dracula lost on a ship. Um, so things keep getting eaten or taken down one by one. And um, it's it, it has that just like, I feel like obviously on a ship, so he can't, he only could be in so many places. But the ship's just big enough that, you know, he could be hiding anywhere. Um, this film does a lot of really good work with practical effects. Um, as well as it blends it with CGI. Now, for me, the CGI at times would could be a little jarring just because I hate when CGI takes me out of a practical effect film. But I understand if you are having a giant winged Dracula man bat flying around the ship in the, in the stormy night sky... You, you can't do that all that practical so you know, i i give it you know a, a pass there's just times where i feel like maybe the film might have been too dark and they lightened up the contrast so you get this kind of gray wash over the cgi whenever you see it um a little disappointing but i mean whatever man it's it's the film is still solid so it didn't really jar me too much uh there is a, it's, you just get to see a side of Dracula that you never really get to see. You know, we always see the, the well-dressed, um, man that's seducing, uh, men and women alike. And, uh, this is just, we're getting that early side of Dracula and it's just so vicious. Uh, and that's just a smart movie too. Um, I will say all up until the ending. I loved this movie up until the very end because I feel like it tries to do something with the movie and turn it into a franchise. And I don't need a franchise out of this. Like it can be a one and done. And I wonder because this film has been in development hell forever. I think this script has been tossed around since 2000, 2001 in Hollywood. And it's had directors come on and actors come on and leave and come back. Um, so I'm even amazed that this film actually got made and put out there, you know, in a, in a time where we're getting, you know, superhero movies left and right and everything has to be a giant avatar picture to get you in theaters to have this script that's been kicking around in Hollywood forever and just be a vicious Dracula on a boat film actually make it out into theaters just makes me so happy. <laughs> like, give me more of these like one off monster movies, especially like ones that are, you know, representing one of the coolest monsters of all time i mean it's universal it's universal doing dracula this isn't uh you know side story dracula story this is universal pictures doing dracula this is the home that built horror 
Um, but that's to say, like, what is Universal doing with their monster movies? They don't. I feel like they don't know. That's. I think that's another reason why I love this picture so much is that we got that um, Alex Kurtzman mummy movie from with Tom Cruise that was god awful, trying to strike off the uh, dark universe, and we got. Um, Nicholas Cage as Dracula and Renfield from all both of these were from Universal Pictures and it was just like Universal's just spinning the wheels trying to hold on to their their characters and keep using them in their pictures you know what I mean like they don't really know what to do with their with their classic monsters so they're just making these like one-off films um so this is another one of those and I feel like Dementor was probably one of those Demeter was probably one of those films that was an idea for the dark pictures for those of you who don't know what the dark pictures are there they were going to make a uh, a marvel universe for the mo- the universal monsters um yeah that didn't happen uh, <laughs> right after tom cruise's uh mummy bombed they decided to stop all that but this film feels too good for that if that makes any sense you know what i mean like it feels like it, they probably were like working on it and had the scripts ready and they're just like I don't know. Like this film will dumb that down. Now there was a Dracula film that came out before the Tom Cruise mummy movie, which was called Dracula untold. And like, that was supposed to be like uh, people were asking, was that part of the dark universe? And universe was just like, yeah, totally. Sure. Like it was another one of those, like we just need to make a Dracula movie. We don't really know how to work this into our universe, but if you all think that that's part of the, the mythos, yeah, we could work that in. So I imagine there was probably discussions about trying to work this in and it just doesn't, you know, this is a good one and done visceral Dracula film uh, that doesn't get too complicated. You know what I mean? Like it's people on a boat going from one location to another and Dracula's killing them off one by one. Um, there are moments where Dracula, when he kills people, kind of like smirks. And I thought that was kind of fun because um, you don't really we're not really getting like, a, you know, a, a poetic dracula here he's not telling us fun tales this dracula is here to rip your throat out and move on but you still got this like little bit of charm that you know it's still the dracula that we know and love underneath that and he's just enjoying himself and it shows off very well in this so uh yeah i just really like this movie the last forge of the meter uh check it out right now from universal pictures uh streaming everywhere well not everywhere but you know 20 bucks on voodoo or whatever the hell it's called um yeah, I'd give this film uh, I'd give it four stars out of five. Definitely well worth it. Well, well worth your time. Um, we just need to see more monster movies in theaters. That's why I went and go see it in theaters because uh, you know, I just want to like represent that the monster, the classic monster movie in theaters, especially the good ones. You know, I always see the bad ones, so it was nice to see a good one in theaters for once. Like what you're hearing on the podcast, music wise. That's because it's from Midnight Syndicate, and this is their new album, The Brimstone Club. You can get that now over at MidnightSyndicate.com, along with all their other albums. These are all albums that are uh, soundtracks for all the big theme park attraction haunts, including uh, Halloween Horror Nights. They'll also be at uh, Cedar Point doing their live show this Halloween, so go check that out as well. And I think you can also get the album there. Stay scary. Uh up next is a film that 
I think I might have to say is my favorite horror movie I've seen this year in theaters. I, overall, honestly, um, not a lot of really good horror movies this year, honestly. I, you know, I'm trying to really reach. Let's get some like cool, you know, independent ones. Um, but there was a movie that came out um, from A24 called Talk to Me. And I, I thought that was my favorite horror movie of the year. But then I sat down and watched this film. And it blew me away. I'm talking about Cobweb. It's okay. It was just a bad dream. I heard it again. No more nightmares tonight. Okay, champ? <gasps> Daddy! This is getting ridiculous. This is an old house. There's bound to be bumps in the night. trouble one day. Um, I don't know how many of you have watched it yet, but this film is so fun and so good. It's directed by Samuel Bowden. And it stars Lizzie Kaplan from Mean Girls. I don't know if you remember Lizzie Kaplan. She was also in um, Misery. Or I'm sorry, not Misery. She played um, Annie Wilkins. Was it Annie Wilkins in Misery? Yeah. Uh, in the Hulu series Castle Rock, season two, there was a... Castle Rock is a story about all the Stephen King um, books. They all get their own like full-on like backstories. And uh, Lizzie plays uh, her in this... Um, her backstory. Basically, if you saw Misery... Um, she plays like a young Annie Wilkes and she's just so good in this. And Lizzie Kaplan's one of those actresses that like you give her a role and she just really just chews the scenery up and just, and just, she's so good and captivating. And I always love seeing her get really good roles in this movie. She gets one of her best roles ever. And who is she side up with? Anthony star Homelander from the boys so these are your parents right this is a, this is a, a story where lizzie kaplan and, and anthony star um are parents of this little boy uh peter by, uh, played by woody norman and it's told like a very gothic fairy tale um just you know it's set up so beautifully and just looks wonderful and by the way the whole film's set around halloween time the family has a pumpkin patch in their backyard for whatever reason. Nobody knows it's just there, but man, does it look cool? Um, there's even a scene like, you know, when Tommy Doyle gets knocked over in Halloween, he breaks his pumpkin. Like they have that scene in there. Like there's always like cute little nods to like Halloween. And I love that. Um, this movie plays like a Gothic fairy tale. And I want to see more of that in films. Uh, you can ruin that real fast by, you know, 
just going ham with your story and getting kind of cheesy. But this film really rides that fine line that like takes the the material very seriously. Um, and you just know like the kid's playing in, at home or he's going to school and he talks to his parents and there's just something not right about them. It almost reminds you of, of parents, the, sh- the film with Randy Quaid. You know, there's just something not right with the folks. Um, but you don't know you're, you know, you're in the, the, the view of this kid and you're just going about the film and everything. And it, it starts uh, unraveling itself and you find that there's something in the walls. And immediately for me, that's like the red flag, right? Like, okay, we're getting a something in the walls movie again. This is Brahms, the boy, like that movie, both those movies. Ugh, I hate those movies. Um, wasn't there another movie that came out recently that was like in the walls? I forget. I don't know. They, they just keep making those movies. I always remember uh, People Under the Stairs. That, to me, that's like the original People in the Walls movie. But this one kind of came out. So I was a little hesitant and a little skeptical about it. And I was like, all right, here we go. But man, this film does Creatures in the Walls good. And like I said, if you all know me, you know I'm a monster guy. And this film fucking knocks it out of the park <laughs> with monster stuff in the walls. Man, It's just it's so good. It's a beautiful piece of art. Um, the acting and vibe is always a little unsettling, like I said. Uh, but it, yeah, it, it's stylistically true to its overall vision. And that's why it just makes me happy to see that you know it, it does that. Uh, I hope that like Samuel uh, Bowden and the writer Chris Thompson Del- and Devlin get more work out of this. Um, this is also another one that was kind of kicked around for a while in Hollywood. Um, I, our, our buddy Paul Davis, who has been on the show a few times, he was up and running for for possibly working on this film uh, or directing this film, which would have been pretty cool. Um, so yeah, looks like they were they were pulling a lot of really good talent trying to get this film together. Uh, one interesting thing: there's a little kid, and remember the little kid I told you I knocked over the character Peter with his pumpkin. Wow, I just realized the kid's character's name is Peter, and Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater, huh? anyways uh he knocks him over and he's just got this look right this little blonde kid just like man what a little shit this kid just looks like a little jerk uh ends up being luke Busey. this isn't the son of jake Busey. no this is the son of gary Busey. i think gary's in his like 70s and he's got like a nine-year-old kid I thought that was real weird. <laughs> I thought that was real weird. When I looked it up, I was like, what? Oh my God. But yeah, the little kid's a little shit. And there's one part in the movie where the, the kid comes back to antagonize the, to Peter and, you know, beat him up and be the really brutal kid. And he brings like his brothers and like older kids. And they all have these Halloween masks on. And our film turns into an, a house invasion film. But one thing I really love that keeps that like stylistically true fairy tale feeling to this film is that they all keep their Halloween masks on. So, you know, while they're, you know, going around trying to kill whatever the, you know, attack, whatever's happening to them, uh, you never see their faces. You don't want to know why? Because they're not important. They're just cannon fodder for our monster in this movie. So why not have them be wearing really cool Halloween masks walking through this house? I can't recommend cobweb enough this movie's so fun and so good uh not to get nerdy on you all and personal but 
I wrote uh, a few spec scripts that I used to shell around, uh, you know, giving out to certain uh, pe- people in the Hollywood scene and have write, you know, Universal and try and, you know, get my writing out there. Two of my film or two of my my scripts were like Cobweb. If you mash both of my scripts together, it makes Cobweb. And I'm not mad about that by any means. Like, damn, they did it first. That just means they got it. They got like what I want to see in films and pictures. 110%. I love, okay, so I'm, my script, I wrote a, a script called Decay, and it was about a little boy, and he was kind of like a, um, did you ever see Frankenweenie, like the original, oh no, I guess not, what was the, uh, it was a Tim Burton story, but it wasn't Frankenweenie, it was the little, it was, I think it was Victor, and he has like the, the Victor von Frankenstein look or whatever, like that gothic storytelling, and I kind of, I, I mixed a little bit of that with, um, courage the cowardly dogs um there's an episode where this this blonde guy shows up and he wants to uh shave courage he just has a fetish for like cutting hair and courage knows this and he tries to get away at every every corner and the whole episode's told like this fairy tale um no tea i'm sure you some of you out there know what i'm talking about um but he's telling like this poetry tale of how he's just you know He's shaved all these people and cut all their hair and he's coming for courage, you know, and it just it 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 just tells so well. And I feel like this film, if it was told, it we told like a really cool, creepy fairy tale story. Um, and that's just what the the director and writer do with this film. They just do such a good job at just building this like fairy tale world. And I feel like the last film that had this kind of feeling was Mike Daugherty's Trick or Treat. Do you know how that kind of film was played out where, you know, you were moving from uh, scene to scene and then you'd get like a story of the background of like the bus driver who drove these kids, uh, you know, off a cliff because the parents didn't like them. Like there was like this is like deep darkness to like fairy tale world full of kids around Halloween time. Like I feel like that's where this lands. The scares, the horror that they give Lizzie Kaplan and Anthony Starr as the parents. They, oh my God, there's some, there's some jump scares that like are pretty unique. A lot of jump scares can be kind of samesies, right? Like, you know, you get your cat jumping out at you or whatever. This film has moments where, uh, you know, it takes you off beat where someone's running at the camera and then they're in the dark and it just stops. And I'm sure you may have seen it in the trailer, but they even change it up after the trailer. So if you've seen the trailer, it still kind of gets you. I can't, I cannot say enough good things about Cobweb. Um, also 1999 on VOD, rent it now. Uh, yeah. Last Voyage of the Demeter and Cobweb. Two of my favorite horror pictures of the year. I know that they're also like films that came out in theaters. They're not like, you know, this little indie, the film that I found off to the side, but damn, these are two really good flicks. And if you want some horror movies to help get you going in the Halloween spirit. I feel like these two films are it. Um, yeah, I hope you guys really like this episode. I know it's a little different. I figure like a little bit more half an hour, kind of like horror movie review kind of episodes might be a little fun before Halloween. Uh, I got another episode coming out. I just did the press event for uh, Halloween horror nights. where We'll be listing all the houses. Uh, my friend Kira went with me, so we'll be uh, talking about those. Um, I'm sure we'll have some more episodes with Jill. I think we're going to do a live episode uh, hopefully soon for the Halloween season. So make sure to check the uh, YouTube and uh, Twitch account. Um, but yeah, lots more spooky 
podcast episodes to come. Before I head out, I want to play the self-titled album, The Brimstone Fire Club, off the Brimstone Fire Club album from Midnight Syndicate. You can go to midnightsyndicate.com and grab that. Until then, everybody, stay scary. We'll see you in October. Have a good one.